This is the Jets-centric podcast, your home for Winnipeg Jets, talk, thoughts, and takes. Welcome to the uh, Jet Centric Podcast. This is Roddy, and I'm here sitting across the table from, uh, you know, incomparable uh, Rick Ralph. How's it going, Rick? It's going well. Other than I can't see the Jets game from here, which way I'm faced, it's going really well. Thank heavens I'm taping it. It's uh, it's good to have you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, thank you. So um, everybody knows you as uh, you know the big one of the big you know radio personalities in the city. Just want to talk to you about about uh, how you got your start in radio. Got my start in radio by graduating university in Nova Scotia during the early '90s into a recession, and I couldn't get a job with a finance and marketing degree. So I thought, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to go back to school. Uh, interest in journalism, kind of went blind into it, but threw everything I had into a car, an '86 Firebird. Two-tone blue with the tea roofs. Nice. Yeah, the Italians will like that. Yeah, they did in Toronto anyway when I got there. Uh, but went back to school, took journalism, got out of there, and uh, got a job right away. So it worked out. Awesome. So you, that's 32 years ago. <laughs> Not quite that. Um, I know the gray hair will fool you, but there's a touch of it. Um, no, that was, uh, let me think now, that was 96 Okay. So '95, I walked in. There was one sports station in the uh, in the city, in the country at that time, and I didn't even know there was such a thing as sports right. radio. But it was a station called The Fan, it's owned by Rogers, and uh, they were needing interns. And we needed, as part of a college diploma, needed to get an internship. So just by chance, somebody had quit their internship there. And one of the girls I knew that was connected there said, "You know, call them." called them and uh, I started interning there in November of 95 by May of 96 I'd been hired as a part-time producer so that's how I kind of get in the door and started that's all that's awesome uh, so oh, 32 years was uh your math's a little off that's yeah no no math you're doing you, 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 t- you, <laughs> you mentioned the 86 firebird I think that's where I got that yeah the 1986 from so yeah well I couldn't afford new cars then so yeah always uh, always uh, <laughs> So 20, 20 odd years in the, in the industry, I guess, 23, 22. Yeah, 23, 4, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. So out of, out of all the personalities that you've met, who has made the most unique impression on you as far as, uh, as a sports personality in, in Toronto or, or anywhere that you've been? Like an athlete? An athlete, yeah. Um, well, there's a couple of ones that stand out. Um, George Trevallo, right. uh, the heavyweight champ of... Uh, for Canada with the loss of two sons mm-hmm. through drug abuse, through his wife committing suicide because she couldn't handle the death of the children. That to me was an incredible uh, interview to do, to get to hear his story. Um, Muhammad Ali, when he came in, the, the, the Argonauts brought him in as a promotion and he walked into a room. I've never seen, when, when you hear people walk into a room and light up a room, 
okay, you know, you have a friend or something that's really, you know, popular or funny that walks into a room and everybody's happy to see them. When Ali came into this room where there was probably 500, 600 people, everybody stopped what they're doing and are just completely blown away just by his presence. He wasn't even speaking. That to, and he was handing out million-dollar bills, not real bills. <laughs> it was just the way Ali was, right? But that, to me, was pretty neat. And he was in his late stages of Parkinson's at that right. time, so it was it was sad at the same time. But you couldn't help but just be a little bit confused of what he's doing, but handing out million-dollar bills. So those are probably two that I, I think of right away as far as, you know, there's Gretzky and there's Lemieux and, and Jordan and other big names where you were kind of in – little bit of those first year or two in awe of and then after a while when you start interviewing these people you realize they're just people and i judge them more on when you're about to interview them what's their personality like and uh we're just going to talk about their job but you, you think about muhammad ali and i mean that must have been that's weird because that's that's another level of athlete that i you know you think of um there was jokes I produced for McCowan, Bob McCowan, for a little bit. And I didn't like producing, but you have to start somewhere. So, um, you know, he wanted me to get Greg Norman uh, on the air. Because Greg Norman had, had, I forget now, surgery on his hand or something. He was in the hospital. And I said, well, how am I going to get him? He's in the hospital. And he said, well, call his agent. I thought, we don't even have a chance of getting his agent on the air. You know, well, how are we going to get him on the air? But that's the way McCowan operates, is that you go after the best. Right. And until you're told no, then you go, you know, and then chase somebody else. But we didn't end up getting the, him on the But there, there's, you know, Michael Schumacher at that time, um, Jordan. Right. There were certain athletes that you just, they're just too big globally. Well, they they, they trans, not, transcend the sport, right? Yeah, so. yeah, they do. And so you weren't going to get those Sampras. You couldn't get them one-on-one, right. rarely, unless they came to your town. You might get away with a minute or two, but mm-hmm. you, you usually weren't going to get them, unless you had a real strong connection. Right. And Muhammad Ali, an indelible mark on the world. Yeah, the history is amazing on the man. And, uh, you know, I was I, a huge Ali fan. Well, not really. I mean, he's he was quite a bit before my time as well. Right. But um, So I don't remember a lot of his fights. I learned a lot of it through uh, the late Burt Sugar boxing mm-hmm. analyst right, for you, sure. you know when those early days of starting at the fan you met a lot of these big name even journalists come in and you know Burt Randolph Sugar was a guy that wanted to go out after the show and have a beer and Cowan didn't want to do it so I did it but you end up now talking boxing with this great boxing historian and learning a lot about the sport Absolutely. in the early days of you know he'd be in Manila or he'd be somewhere where these sure. fights would go down and I would just sit and listen Absolutely. Great storytelling. Yeah, my, my grandmother would have been enamored. And that would have been a bucket list moment for her. With because, Bert Sugar? Or Ma- no, Ali. Muhammad Ali, right? So <laughs> any, any any Filipino that was alive in the 70s, sure. uh, you know, Muhammad Ali was, was, was their guy. So. Well, a big political figure too, right? And, and that's, but also a real character. And I, don't, I only knew about him at that point in talking to others who had been around him mm. and interviewed him. So that day when he walked into the room and started handing a million-dollar bill, so that... I get it, but I don't get it. Uh, at the same time, you, you just couldn't help but admire a guy for the fight that he had put up throughout his life and was fighting then against Parkinson's. For sure. Now, what's what's the the biggest or the most memorable event that you've that you've covered? Like, do you have a, an all-time uh, sport? You know, funny sporting-wise, 
Um, there's not a real favorite sporting event. What I do remember is being on the air for certain times. Right. So I was on the air when the Space Challenger blew up. Right. And, you know, you're talking sports on an all-sports radio station. It's a Saturday morning. And at the same time, you've got these monitors on because this is quite something, a space right. shuttle. And it's supposed to be coming, I think it was, yeah, it was coming back into uh, Earth. Right. And it disintegrates before your eyes. Yeah. But it's happening live, and you're talking sports, you're distracted by sure. what's going on on the screen. And eventually, I, you can't say that it's exploded because you don't know this, but it certainly doesn't look right. right. So then you start describing, you interrupt, you interrupt sports to talk about something that you're seeing live on television mm-hmm. happening. For sure. And, uh, you know, so that stands out, non-sports, obviously. And the other one is interviewing a, a woman who got out of the South Tower in 9-11. We interviewed her uh, within 48 hours of, of the tower's wow. collapse. So we were on the air. Um, we were at the sports station, but we were all news when that right. happened. The only time ever that I know that we flipped to all news because you couldn't, nobody was dialed into anything else. Absolutely. So we interviewed this woman that had survived the, Tower collapsing. She had got out before it collapsed. But to interview her, and it's still raw, still very emotional. Those stand out. But sporting events, I mean, I got to Maple Leaf Gardens before uh, they closed that up, right. so that's memorable. I was not a Leaf fan, still am. Not, <laughs> still in all, pretty neat to be up in the in the media box and, and be down in Maple Leaf Gardens and see the history. Right. Uh, covered one game in the Montreal Forum. So that kind of stuff. But as far as like covering live a sporting event. No, there's not a real memorable one. I haven't done, um, you know, I've been to Grey Cups, but as more as a fan, mm-hmm. I haven't covered the big games like a Stanley Cup or a, or a Super Bowl in actually reporting on the game. Right. So you're in, you're in Toronto till obviously 2001. Till I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. Great that was. Uh, yeah, I was there till, uh, well, I got fired in 2010, June 24th, 2010. My mother reminded me every year because <laughs> she had a perpetual calendar. So you got, you got fired this day last year. You got fired this day two years ago. Thanks, Mom. So now Mom's gone, but I still remember June 24th, 2010. But they, they didn't fire me. They fired, well, they fired me and six, seven of us at right. the same time. It happens in radio. There's a saying that you won't make it in radio until you're fired. So I knew I had made it, but I was out of a job. Um, so I, by... 2010. It was a chance meeting. I'm out in Vancouver. My girlfriend's out there working, filling in for uh, Larry and Willie on a rock station. She's a music DJ. And um, Jody Vance, who I knew from Toronto, um, asked me if I knew Rob Gray. And I said no. And she called Rob Gray. He was the program director of TSN 1040. Um, I went down, met Rob Gray. And then who started TSN 1050 in Toronto when it launched in May of 2011? Rob. So I ended up getting a job for the summer there. And then when the Jets came back and they needed more staff members out here and somebody to cover the hockey team, um, TSI agreed to come out from from Toronto to come out here. But it meant full-time work, so that was good. So what was your first impression of Winnipeg when you got it? Honestly, my first impression, get out at the airport. It's the old airport. Like this is an older airport. (laughs) Uh, and then driving down, it would be Route 90, I guess, thinking in a cab, 
where have I moved to? <laughs> it's the I hadn't been here since '77 <laughs> when my grandmother was here. So I, I, you know, and even then I was a kid. So I only remember Vimy Ridge Park, the Witch's Hut in North Kildonan, and the McDonald's on Portage. That's wow. pretty close to downtown. <laughs> yeah. Those are my memories as, as a seven-year-old, right? So, um, but then you know, the other thing that struck me was because I was staying on Pemina Highway in the Holiday Inn is that there I wasn't on any road that was you couldn't drive any faster than 60 because you know from Pemina Highway to downtown to the rink to the radio station I didn't have to go anywhere that was there's no highway to go <laughs> yeah to. at least I didn't have to so the, the my very first impression was that where do they come from and then after you spend a week or two you start branching out a bit and you're like oh okay now I see what now I see Winnipeg right. so yeah it took a little uh, it took more than 24 hours Who's your Who's the first person that you met here that that um, that you gravitated to? Like, well, the first I, I didn't meet him because I knew Dennis Bayak when he right. was in Edmonton as a play-by-play right. of the Oilers, and then I got to know him in Toronto when he was play-by-play with the Maple Leafs. So when I moved out here, um, I knew him out here, but he was the only one that I knew out here. So when I got out, um, you know, who was the first person I met? I think it, outside of anybody at work, my boss, obviously, or some of the guys at, at work, the first person I met outside of work was Christian Christensen, uh, who had a place called The Broke, but it was a roundtable place. Round so, table, yeah. yeah, so my, my neighbor told me to look this guy up. I'm like, Christian Christensen, what kind of a name is that? <laughs> uh, and he said, but he owns a, a restaurant on Pemina Highway. And so uh, my girlfriend and I stopped in like about three weeks after we moved here, and uh, we ordered a beverage, and the asked if this Christian Christensen was in, and he came out, um, didn't know, he was looking for somebody he thought he'd recognize, anyway, the server said, no, they asked for you, right. and I said, Doug Clark has sent me, and uh, that, that was it, My the first person I had met uh, here in Winnipeg, that didn't have to do anything with the radio station. Right. So now, you'll always be tied with the Jets coming back. Like, Pretty much, I got here September 11th, um, which I figured was a good day to fly, and, you know, obviously it wasn't in 2001, but in my mind, I'm kind of thinking people were still kind of afraid to fly on that date. So the other thing was I had to start work on the 12th of September. Right. So I had to get out here. And I was in Prince Edward Island when I got hired right. on vacation in August of 2011. So I didn't have a lot of time. We were doing renovations to the house in Etobicoke and had to basically get back, pack and go. Right. And then uh, Samantha was two weeks later to get out here. It was a quick move. But, you know, being a fan, you know, and, and knowing when they just came back, every everybody here in the, this town was thirsty for anything Jets. And uh, I remember you were very interactive and you, um, you know, it was an honor to get a tweet read by you on the, the, the pre or post game, game oh, show. Oh, sure. Yeah, for sure, right? So um, you were the you're the game day host. For how, how many years? How many seasons were you the game day host? Uh, from 2011 until last summer. Right. Yeah. When Gary left. You know some of the some of the personalities that you you know, the phone in callers, the, the, yes. the post game callers, you know you kind of you kind of made famous here. They're their household names now, right? So, some of them would be, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> out of out of all the callers that have called in, like, um, which which ones are your favorites? Well, there's, there's Ralph, obviously, and Steve Caves, right? Who became a kind of, you couldn't officially start the post-game show until Ralph had spoken for Steve James. And, and, you know, he's a guy that, 
he has a military background like my father, uh, like my family, and he's from Prince Edward Island, and I know PEI well, and he actually, you know, uh, was in the, uh, I think it's the Army, uh, boat probably 30 minutes from where I grew up. So I knew areas that he knew, and I think that's what he liked about it. Right. Uh, and I could relate to, um, you know, a maritime kind of background that he had. So there was him, and I'm trying to now, because I'm over a year removed now. Right. But uh, there was a guy in St. Vital that always, Dan, I think it was, that would want me to agree with everything. And I would agree <laughs> always with the first two things that he said, and then always on the third one I would disagree, which would get him upset. <laughs> I, I knew it would, because you can't always agree on everything. Brian in Windsor Park, who plays in a band, uh, bass playing Brian. Right. That's what I kind of got to know Brian as. You know, then in the later years, there were some that you heard from right away. Cosmic Bob was another one right. downtown. For sure. You know, that ran his phone through a, a radio, which created a little bit of a distortion, which we always... <laughs> well, you gave him that name, nickname, right? Well, because of the feedback <laughs> yeah, that created sure. it, and everybody could hear it. And I'm thinking, well, okay, whatever. You know, uh, let's just go with it. And, uh, and Cosmic Bob, and he liked his name. Um... But there's a, there's a couple of other, like once we kind of moved along, there was a Howard and Wolseley, but after yeah. year two or three, that stopped. So some came and went early year. There was Dawn, who lived in the West End, right. and I would ask her if she shouldn't live in the East End, <laughs> and she didn't understand why. <laughs> and, I, you know, because when you get a caller on the air, they're, they're, chances are they're a little bit nervous, right. and so they're not relaxed. I am, right? Because I've been doing this a while. For sure. So, so I can kind of catch that one. It might go over Don's head, but somebody listening who isn't nervous catches it. Right. So that was the whole point of that kind of humor. And then we have to get on to what is Don calling about and what about the game. Right. Um, but then you've got, you know, in the last couple of years, Marshall in Vancouver. There's John in Atlanta. Right. There's Dale in Australia. There's different ones that would chime in on Twitter that maybe were overseas. Right. There was a guy in Japan that would call us. Um it's the guy in Calgary that was always mad. I <laughs> uh, can't think of his name, and that's going to annoy him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, after a while you hear, there's the old saying, I think, that 5% of your radio audience will call right. at any one time. Like, right. it's just the rank, same 5%. So you wonder why you hear some of the same callers. I always figured if you had something really go sideways in the game, where it really annoyed the audience... Then you would hear from people that weren't normally tempted to call. But right. if some people you really needed to vent, then you started to hear from these different right. people. But you have every radio station does regulars. Um, we had we had Gary in Scarborough when I was in Toronto. We had Alan the cab driver. That one of the hosts ended up in Alan's cab, and it was a nightmare. <laughs> but you know, you, the, the different thing too. I'll give Huss credit for this. He, you know, he had a, a meeting of these callers, so you never usually get and the beauty of radio is it's a theater of the mind right you, you always have an image of what these people are. yeah they had that the award though the caller yeah the caller. so i got to meet ralph and he brought his straight <laughs> keep it on the ice and Bob was there and, and and you know all these characters that, and i call them characters they're they're character people mm-hmm. all these people that would call into the show um you got to see and it, it's a lot different when you get to see the face to the to the voice the, the biggest question i have is how did you keep saying with, with the types of calls that you got well, yeah i'm not a this might come as a shock i'm not really a jets fan right I, i'm not a leaf fan either um but i am a fan of hockey right. so and but to be in the media i always took it as you know you've got to be unbiased to a certain thing 
So when a fan calls and they're riled up, I know how that feels. Right. I used to hate it as a kid. I was a Montreal fan as a kid. Right. You know, pounding the floor when they'd get eliminated in the playoffs. I know what that passion is. I don't have that anymore for Montreal right. because I don't see their games anymore. I, I, I barely know who's on the team. Right. But I can tell you all about the Winnipeg Jets, right? And and who's on what line and, and what's going on with the hockey club. So I know that attachment to the fan base. So you allow them the time to say what they want to say, and then you either have a rebuttal to it or you just let them go. Some nights you just take calls because you know people are angry, right. and you just let them have their way and <laughs> thank them for the call, and, and you move on. There, you know, the odd time, there is one where you just kind of roll your eyes, but that's the difference of opinion, and that's what makes a lot of times the post-game show is fun. Right. So you've, you, you've, you've had how many, how many co-hosts did you have? Game day, like, like I, game somebody day. asked me this the other day, and I said Ray Newfeld came to mind right away. Yeah, he was the first one, right? I, yeah, he was the first one, and I can't remember because it's not that long ago. But Adam Wozni came along, and I didn't have a say in whoever anybody was. Right. I didn't, never had a problem with any of the guys that I was co-hosting with. Uh, but each of them are different in their own way. Absolutely. So sometimes that would not really change anything, but you'd be aware of different tendencies. Um, and then after Adam, I mean, some guys from the illegal curve would fill it. Richard Pollock was good because he's got such an analytical mind. And now, of course, he's a he's a scout for Florida. Mm. Um, and then you get into the Trevor Kids, right? And you, and you get into JP. And uh, then you've got the ex-player mentality, which is right. a different thing again. And I, I, enjoy, I enjoy that. Not that you don't. And we had that with Ray Newfeld, but Ray's a little softer spoken. For sure. And... Um, and you kind of need a little more of a charge to it. And at the same time, when I first get out here, there wasn't a lot of experience in doing sports radio that was around me. Right. So even including a lot of the hosts were for sure. relatively new. A lot of them had radio experience for years, right. but maybe not sports radio. And then, of course, Westwood, you got as the former athlete. Right. So that's different again. So there was a growing process of, and we're getting things off the ground there pretty quick. And as I mentioned, I'm landing on the 11th of September. For sure. To start on the 12th. <laughs> preseason game. The first game was what, October 5th, October 9th, right. Montreal. Um, so things are happening really fast. Right. And there was a lot of technical stuff behind the scene that you're training people and kind of operating at the national hockey league level right out of the gate. So it was, you had to be patient. Absolutely. What's the most impressive thing about this Jets organization that you've seen? Like, what, what stands out about the Jets organization or True North? I think I think what it, it's a family. Mm-hmm. They're not all related, but but they treat one another like a family. And from an outsider, that's what I've seen, or that's an observation. I think the other thing when I first got here was the willingness to be the best that they could be, and whether that be how do we design the dressing room, how do we design the training room. And I think you see that now out at MTS Iceplex with the addition of an additional training, you know, in a dressing room out there. Right that they want to know what it is they have to be to be the best. And right. whether that's from the usher that takes your ticket to the beer vendor to, the, you know, the actual building in itself. Right. I've admired that, the, the, the want and the feeling that we've got to be bigger and better than this each time. And I think that's what, when you talk to people that are running businesses at that level, that's, that's what it takes. Right. But that's, to me, what has been impressive. Family kind of feel to it. And at the same time, the drive on everybody's point 
part to make everything better. For sure. One thing that I appreciate about you, and comparatively to the other personalities on the radio or in the media, is that I find I find your you're, you're totally objective, and that, that comes from your journalistic background and uh, the fact that you're not a fan. Um, well, I am a fan, but you know, not like, a fan of fan of the Jets. I'm not traditionally yeah. a Jets fan. Right. However, I like it when they do well, right. and it, it's fun to see the reaction in the city. For so sure. I get caught up in that. But am I a fan? So if I'm out at this is kind of a funny thing to me now, but if I'm in a bar with a bunch of people watching a Jets game, which ha- wasn't possible for the first five years, now right. it is, and the Jets score, my natural reaction is not to react. Right. Because when I was in the press box in Maple Leaf Gardens and the, the Leafs scored, I thought you were supposed to go, yeah. <laughs> so I did a little fist pump. And even though I wasn't a Leaf fan, you know, the home team right. scored. And I got just glared. Jim Proudfoot, longtime Hall of Fame writer, just glared at me. And I had another media member said, we don't cheer in the media box, right. the press box. So I thought, okay. So now, from now on, if I'm covering an event or covering a team, right. I don't cheer. <laughs> it's just become a habit. And there's only the odd time where I've, you know, I'm not actually covering a game or I'm covering a team and I can go watch it and then I cheer for whatever. But. Right. So what, what our listeners want to know is how much cheering goes on in the media box. None. And, None. And, and, you know, I've taken that background, and not that there was, but there, there's the odd one that you will see. Right. And, you know, I also kind of go with, okay, maybe times are changing, too. Um, doesn't always have to be a certain way. But for me to be unbiased, I don't think there should be cheering. Right. Um, and in the media box, would you get the odd one? Yeah, you would get the odd one. But you got a lot of different types up there that are right. media members. Some of them are writers for papers some of them are you know radio reporters from other radio stations some of them are bloggers you know some there's all kinds of different people that can you know make up the media now as if we're sitting here doing a podcast yeah you know sure. that's that's just the way it is now. not that we'd ever get media access but um... never know don't say never I, I don't i don't know what the stipulation is now with the national hockey league and getting media access but um you know it, it's you this is a great piece in the athletic right now about you know the, where the, the media is going in all of this, and right. I I think you're going to start seeing some big changes here over the years. Are we going to get away from the traditional, you know, broadcaster analyst watching the TV? I think we already are. How many people are on Twitter while a game's going? Absolutely. On? Yeah. So you've got a second screen open all the time now. So it, and it's kind of fun to engage in that crowd while you're watching the game, but For you're sure. not watching the game anymore. Like you used to be, you're distracted by this screen. <laughs> so there is that part to it too. But, you know, TV's got to figure out and multimedia's got to figure out how do we incorporate it all together so that we don't lose an audience in one medium and make the money. You know, are we are we distracting people to the screen, the second screen, and taking away from the first screen? Well, now you're not seeing the advertisements. So do we need to load up the second screen with ads? Like, you there's a there's a happy medium in there right. somewhere that they're trying to figure out right. while it's still engaging. You know, if we've seen 4K broadcasts of sporting events, it's out of this world. Right. But it's too expensive yet to do it in every market. Right. So, but it's coming. What do you feel about? There's a lot of people that have sentiment that uh, the media here isn't isn't as critical as as it could be of. The Jets, comparatively to to other to others teams, or you know, there's only one other 
I won't say major sporting team, but you know, the Bombers sure. are. You have the Bombers, you got the Gold Eyes, and you've got the Jets, right? Those are your three yeah. professional sporting teams. Right. And and yeah, yeah, do the Jets get probably the most attention out of it? Sure. Right. We're in we're in Canada. Yeah. It's hockey. For sure. And the Bombers get their share. Um, there's less media members here than there would be, say, in Toronto, which I first experienced, Absolutely. or in Montreal, or in Vancouver. That's just probably population. So you're going to get more competition for the media in Toronto right. to get ahead of the other 12, 15 reporters that are there at any one time. You've got to ask the more aggressive question. Right. I've always felt that's kind of what goes on. Okay. Is it less here? No, because I think you've got good reporters here. Right. But is it as competitive among the media members here because of the smaller numbers? I would say no. Right. So that may be perceived as why don't the media ask this you know, question yeah, or why don't sure. they ask that one? It, and I've always felt personally it's different when you are uh, a beat writer who covers that team day in, day out. Right. And if you want to, and they'll ask tough questions. Mm -hmm. I know people disagree, but they ask the tough questions. You're not always going to get the answer. You can ask the question, but you're not going to get the answer. That's mm -hmm. the other thing. A lot of these coaches, and Maurice is probably one of the best at it, is media trained. He worked in the media. Right. He knows what we do. For sure. He knows what we're looking for. He'll give us tidbits and the rest of it, you know, take the game against uh, the Islanders. He doesn't know what the lines are going to be because, you know, he doesn't. Know, he has to see what the Islanders are going to do. The Islanders have the last change. Right. You know, what does that going to affect? Find out that Morrissey's not in the game. Oh, well, that's why he's probably not doing line rushes. Right. He doesn't want to tip his hand. But he's not going to tell us. He knows. For sure. He just doesn't want to tell us. So you can ask him any way you want. He's just not going to tell you. And uh, you know, Larry Brooks and, and John Tortorella have some pretty good because Brooksy, Brooksy tries to get <laughs> that out of out of John, and John doesn't want to give it back. In fact, he'll throw it back right in his face. But that, you know, those are rare. Those kind of interactions. But you know, you go back to the beat writer versus the columnist who now can write an opinion piece. Because he doesn't have to hang around the team. Or, not as much. And they can write whatever they want from right. the paper side, you know, because they don't have to cover the team every day. Right. So that's a little bit different again. And then you've got your electronic media that are basically looking for sound bites. Mm -hmm. You know, anything, radio is probably looking for anything between 9 and 22 seconds. Television's looking for something maybe a little bit longer. Right. Wendell Clark, to me, was always the best. Everything he said was between 9 and 13 seconds. Because he knew that's what the media wanted. Right. He's not going to give you any more. Right. And you just want a couple sound bites to preview a show or something, or in a report. So it's different. There's different media members with different agendas right. in there. So the beat writer would would be, you know, that would be mindful of access and. and sure. Not to, to so if you want to go in there and throw now, what kind of questions do you want to throw? Do you want to throw uh, darts? And and. You can annoy a player to a point where they're not going to speak to you the rest right. of the way. And I've worked with media members like that. Uh, I remember Howard Berger being shut down by Pat Quinn. They wouldn't talk to him. Right. Quinn wouldn't come on our radio station for over a year. Like, that hurts. For sure does. So they can fight back. So you have to be, you know, careful in how you ask certain questions. That doesn't mean you don't ask the tough questions. Right. Just think of a good way to ask them. You come out, throw, and you always save the tough questions to the last. Right. Unless you've got a real short media veil. Always save those to the last because it's probably going to blow up the scrum and then everybody's done. We're not right. getting anything more. So save the tough ones for the last. So the the round table was your show for... It was. Um, I remember, I remember that you were... I was a product of the lockout. 
Right. Yeah, we, we had nothing to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> essentially, that's what happened. You had Dennis Pack, you had Shane Nutty, you had myself and Brian Munns with really nothing to do. Right. And I had talk show experience in Toronto, but I wasn't doing our, the roundtable at that point in the first year that we got out here. I got out here. So, the boss came up with the idea, well, why don't you guys do a midday show? Because they were running Jim Rome at the time. Right. And we will keep tabs on the lockout. It also gives us something to do. Right. So that's how the roundtable got started, was during the, the lockout of 2012. And that first book, and I never talk about ratings on the air, but that first ratings book came out, I believe we had the highest ratings on the station. And you know, we're also in a different time slot. We're in the middle of the day. But that showed you, the, oddly enough, the thirst for knowledge of what is going on in a lockout. And I went through the trying to remember the different it was the 94 strike there was uh i have unfortunately had experience of lockouts and strikes um and and there you have to find ways to make things entertaining the neat thing about it is the number of jets were in town would come in studio with shane and i and we would interview them for an hour yeah. and that became quite popular and we didn't have to talk about hockey because there's nothing else there's no hockey going right. on so we learned about Mark Stewart going to Pearl Jam and being backstage in Boston, right. or Zach Pagosian's family has a carpet business. Right. You know, different <laughs> stuff, which is also kind of interesting. You'd still like to talk about hockey, but we could talk about last year. We talk about growing up playing hockey, you know, or guys that they'd played against, or different reference points. Right. So that's kind of what that roundtable started as, is kind of Dennis, myself, and Dennis has a lot of experience. Shane was the former player, and Brian's been a broadcaster here with the Moose, so um, you know, there was a lot of different personalities and different opinions and, and ways to do different shows. Right. But, um, but I, I, it's going to sound funny, but I enjoyed parts of the lockout for that reason. It gave right. you access to these players with different stories. It's different content, right? Yep. Right. And then as soon as the, the games were back on, Dennis went back to doing play-by-play. Shane went back to being an analyst. Um, Brian went back to doing uh, play-by-play at that time as well on the radio side. Dennis went back to TV. And they said, you know what, we like the, having this show. Um, you know, we're just going to keep you doing the show. For sure. But I thought, you know what, I, there's nobody, everybody else is gone. I, I, it's just me now. Right. Everybody else is gone. <laughs> and, you know, I, I have had experience doing a show by myself. It's not easy. Right. So I was, I just kept doing it by myself. But you had a, a regular contributors, uh, you know, regular guests. Yeah, Shane would come them. in every day at 12, 15. We wouldn't come in, but he'd come on the air. A lot of people thought that Shane and I didn't get along. <laughs> we got along great. We still keep in touch, but it, uh, I also know how to push his buttons. And and once he figured out, keep in mind he's a retired player right after that, right. up with Boston, right? So he's coming right out of the rink in the right broadcast the, yeah. booth. And, and Dennis had a lot of uh, time for Shane to teach him different things. Mm-hmm. And but he's been interviewed by the media, but he's never been part of a talk show before. Right. So you know, I kind of helped him go along with that once he got used to me and a sense of humor and what i was going to ask him then it got better between the two of us is what it sounded like on air right but still a lot of people thought we didn't get along no we did and now you know we do we still do <laughs> <laughs> so now you've transitioned now uh you're in the drive home show obviously with um hustler with hustler and uh filling in uh Gary's shoes, I guess. Uh, kind of. I think a lot of people saw that as filling in Gary's shoes. Gary had a job where he was a writer with the Winnipeg right. Free Press, a writer for TSN.ca, covered the Canadian Football League extensively, 
and happen to do this radio show. Right. For me, it's just a radio show. I don't right. write for TSN.ca. I don't <laughs> write for the Winnipeg Free Press, right? Like, this is what you do. So, but it is. People listening to the radio think, well, he took Gary's job. Well, yeah, I, I took that slot. Right. Uh, you know, and, and the only person that's left from the original part of that in 2011 is Hustler. Because the producers right. even changed now. Michael Remus is the producer. So a lot's changed there. And there's always an adjustment. I know when you're going into a, a show that you're filling in for somebody else that's right. gone now, there's going to be an adjustment. Some like it, some don't. Um, some like when I did the show middays and some didn't. Right. Some like Kevin O now better and some don't. It's just the way it goes, right? right. Um, if you're going to get upset by that, you shouldn't be in the business. <laughs> you sure. have to be able to take criticism. Right. So, But it's been different. I have a co-host now. Uh, it's a shorter shift, and I talk half as much. So, right. in fact, if we have guests, I talk a third as much. Right. So, you know, it's just kind of a different. That's a funny way to look at it, but it's a uh, it's a different dynamic with two people, obviously, than it is one. So, what's it like working with us? It's good. He's an easygoing guy. I've never quite met a guy that watches as much sports as Huss does. Everything. It's incredible. Absolutely everything. I, I, I give him credit. Now, he's not married that I know of. I don't think he has kids that I know of. So <laughs> or he that has, he knows of. He yeah. has the time. <laughs> Huss has the time to do it. And uh, and he loves it. He loves it. He loves He loves tennis. He loves football. He loves hockey. I just go right down the list. He loves it. But he watches an awful lot of and I don't watch as much as us. I've never met anybody that does watch that much. Um, but say, having said that, if you're going to be in this business, you've got to watch sports. Right. Um, and you'll watch more than maybe you normally would as, as a fan. And other times there are fans that maybe watch more than we do. Right. But you've, you've got to also get access to people to pick brains of individuals, find out information. Some of it you find out you can't use on air. Other parts of it you can. And, it's more, to me, it's always, it's a form of entertainment, what sports radio is. Right. So it's information and entertainment. And that's essentially what we're selling. I know when you, you were on the roundtable and, you know, when I was in a different position, you know, you were, you were, must, you were, you were the only thing that I had on, on the radio. You know, going from call to call and everything that I had, you know, it's, it's, it's... You're driving around. Cause I always driving figured, around, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I always figured we had, uh, doing the roundtable in the midday, you've either got somebody listening at work online, or there are a lot of people driving for yeah. whatever reason. And it's usually guys. Females, I always figure, are trapped in a guy's car, and they don't have a choice over the radio. That's how sure. we have female listeners. <laughs> there are a few. There are a few. There are for a sure. few. There, yes, there, there, I've there, met there, a number there. of them in the city, and it's always sure. fun to meet them. But generally, it's, you know, guy-dominated. Yeah. And there, there are a lot of, you know... Informed female fans that you know there are many for sure. Like there are many, yes, few, there are. some of yeah. the most intelligent hockey minds that I know that that analyze. And there should be more. There should for be sure. more in sport. There should be more in sports radio. There's Absolutely. more in TV now, but there should be more on the sports radio side. For sure. Why that isn't, I don't know. So I guess we got to get to the Jets, which is what this Jets hockey podcast. <laughs> so you've seen the progression. You've been here from the beginning. Um, what's what's impressed you the most? Or what, what hasn't impressed you? <laughs> what struck you about this Jets organization uh, the most? That they stuck to their plan that they had in day one. Right. That was draft, develop, and be patient. Right. And fan bases are not patient. Media can sometimes be influenced by fans, and they become impatient. And I remember asking Kevin Sheveldayoff in an interview, and I thought at the time this might be unfair to ask. But I said, are you, are these players, some of these players on this team right now, and, and this would be in the second year, 
are they holding places for guys that are coming up through the system and eventually they'll just move on? Are these like plate warmers? Right. And he completely disagreed. And, you know, I thought at the time after I said it, I thought, that's probably an unfair question. Um, because, you know, could they have torn everything down when they got here and gone with the youth movement? Well, I guess, but where are you getting all the young guys? Because you don't get to draft, you know, 18 guys in the first round in year one. You get one guy, Mark Shifley, and it's going to take him three years to get here. And it did. But it didn't look at him now, right? Josh Morrissey, I mentioned to Huss the other day off, I might have mentioned it on the air or off the air. You remember when people were speculating that he might be a bust? Mm -hmm. Josh Morrissey? Sure. Who played 29 minutes against the Rangers? Like, you know, career high for him, and now is a top two pairing defenseman on this club. And so, you know, there's your draft and develop, but this is year seven that I've been here now. It's year seven of the team, eight if you want to call it, however you want to do your math. Um, it's It's been impressive how they've stayed the course. Claude Noel, what a beauty. Love talking to yeah, Claude. Sure. You know, tough spot. You know, you've got, when you think of the different guys that were here, Nick Antropoff, who I covered when he was in Toronto, or Kyle Wellwood, who I knew from Toronto as well, you know, to to guys that had come from Atlanta, like Ladd, um, you know, the captain, Wheeler and Little, who are still here. But you've seen the progression, too, of Wheeler, seen the growth of Shifley. And you could, everybody knows the growth of different guys, Truba coming in. But it, it, they stayed the course and did that where others were questioning why don't you tear it down and national media members were wondering when was Chevy ever going to make a trade right. you know and finally this has come around and then you see the Stastny deal last year and if they made it last year they may do it again this year um, and they've stayed the course but you know there's a testament to Mark Chipman right at the top you know because he could have like, you know they moved on from Noel and brought in Paul Maurice and they brought him in and people wanted to fire Mo. At the same time, you know, you heard a lot of that from the fan base. What has Chevy done for me lately? It became a hashtag. You know, <laughs> what did Chevy? It was what did Chevy do today? Well, that was it. What did Chevy do today? Right, and and, and it's entertaining. And that's entertainment, but from a fan base, it can be very aggravating. You can get a lot of anger and and you know, sure. kind of resentment. As long as you don't have apathy, and we never got there, and right. you knew you wouldn't with the fan base the way it was. Canadian market rarely do you get there to that level. So let's talk about this fan base. Um, how dip, yeah, so how different is it from the Toronto fan base? Or is it, is it more of the same? Or? It's uh, it's the same. There's just fewer of them. Right. Right? But um, having said that, you know, with the Jets getting to where they are in the postseason and seeing – and I used to go on – I still go on Sirius XM NHL radio. I know a lot of the guys there. They'll have me on every two weeks where I go on other sports radio stations around the country or in the United States. And they're talking a lot about – you know, the, the crowd that was outside during last year's playoff run. And I said, when you think of it, I said, there's there's a little over 15,000 inside the building. There's twice as many people outside the building. Right. Like, that's just to try and put it into perspective for somebody that doesn't live here how crazy it is. And television did a great job of, of pushing that apart, like pushing that around. But I, I tell people, like, the fan base here is just, it's, it's, it's crazy. Absolutely. You get into Toronto, and they're crazy, too. Look at what they did in Vancouver. That's a little bit, that's actually really crazy, right? Like we don't want to go down that road. But there's just more of them in those markets. But they're no more passionate than, you know, market in, say, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, Winnipeg. But Winnipeg, you will see them more so, I think, 
at every chance you get. Whether it be, and we're starting to see a little bit of a slip now where you people can get tickets, but before you could. Right. Um, you know, but it's still, to me, it's sold out every night as we roll along here. So, it, you know, the fan base is still extremely strong. And it's very passionate. So now, you know, we don't have, you know, I don't, we could go on forever. <laughs> Obviously, right? Yeah. So uh, last year was last year. Like, uh, we know it's the best year ever. Um I kind of want to talk about this year and, and, and where the team's at. But what do you think the biggest difference is between last year's team and this year's team um, as far as performance? I know that. Where do you think where do you think they need to improve the most? And where this, the, if there has been a, a fall-off uh, from last year's team, where, where is it? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but look at Hellebuck. I'll start there because you always start with a goaltender, right? You can't win without a goaltender. There's been a couple of pucks to get by him this year that traditionally haven't got by him right. like that. The goals against average is up. The save percentage is down. Right. And he's around a 903-904. Now, those are not Hellebuck numbers. Those no. are below Pavlik numbers. Mm-hmm. Having said that, look at the defense in front of him. Right? Buff missed a couple of games to injury, and now he's out. Right Now you've got Morrissey out. I mean, the, the injuries on defense right now, and we've seen injuries here in Winnipeg before. I don't think we've seen them to the depth that we are seeing them right now. And you've got a guy like Sammy Niku who comes in, who's having a hard time finding his way, you know, in the National Hockey League early on here. Doesn't mean cut him, doesn't mean trade him, right? Um, but seven and a half minutes isn't going to work. So I think you have to look at that. Is the defensive play of the team worse than it was last year? I think it is. Worse is probably a, a bad word to use. But even Maurice has said he ha- it's been better maybe as of late, but actually, as of late, it slipped a little bit more. He liked it, and I don't know how far we're going back here. Maybe six or seven games ago, he liked right. a stretch of four games where it was getting better. Now you're looking at it. You know, they're allowing at least three goals in a game or more, but they're also scoring. So I think the defense is the area. While we're seeing, you know, a bit of a slower start for Lydie, uh, that was funny. And then, he, you, know, he's, you know, now he's leading the league in goals. So, again, the word patience comes to mind. But they're good up front in the forward groups. Those first two lines are driving mm-hmm. the hockey club. I think the TLC line at nights is their best line. Other nights they're having a tough go. Now they see a lot of the tough competition. And that fourth line has got to find some sort of chemistry where the coach trusts it to the point where you get it up around eight or nine minutes. I think that would benefit the team more. So I start and goal a little bit defensively, and that's not to throw everything on the goaltender, but defensively they haven't been as good. Right. Yeah, the offense is there to support them this year so far. So how much do they miss Toby Enstrom? Probably more than people think. And, and Toby Enstrom is a guy that is, I always say there's a guy on the team every year that is a lightning rod carrier that the fans throw it at. I would say Tyler Myers is that guy now. Right. The year before it was Enstrom. Like Mark Stewart would fall into that category. I don't know if Kane had it for a while there. It's usually a player that they feel should be performing better. Right. Enstrom, if you see him outside of his gear in, in regular clothes, you'd think he was on a skateboard. You know, that <laughs> he doesn't look like an NHL player. Right. He plays with a telesto- uh, telescopic stick. Um, <laughs> but you would talk to coaches that would come in and they would rave about Enstrom's game. The ability to, you know, get to hear about a good stick. Always had a good stick. Always with a quick breakout pass. And Trevor Kidd and I would argue about it off-air. He doesn't see that as much. But opposing coaches always spoke about Enstrom. Right. 
Do you miss him? I think you do, but you've got Josh Morrissey now. But the drop-off, as we all know, on the left side is a little bit steeper than it is on the right. So if they can shore that up, if they, they got to get healthy in defense, that'll improve. The defensive coverage works a little bit better. I've also wondered, is it the goaltending equipment this year? And some people think that it is, and some people don't think it is. But have a look around the National Hockey League at the names of goaltenders. Now, we spoke to Craig Button last week. He told us at the quarterway mark, the NHL was up 20 goals this time last year. So that says that it's just your eyes. You're being tricked by your eyes. I still have a hard time thinking that. You look at the scores of the Jets games. We're doing 4-3, wins, 6-3 loss. To me, the goals are up. The guys are scoring down the wing again. They're coming down the left side. They're coming down the right side. They're beating goaltenders. Under the glove, over the glove, up top. I don't remember seeing that in the last three sure. years. And we're seeing, I think, more of it. So, and is it exciting? Well, I think so. Fans like goal scoring. I'm a fan of the goaltenders. Right. So I like big saves. So Lundqvist's performance of the night for the Rangers was excellent. Jets get the win. Good for them. But it took a lot of persistence. Sure. Um, so, but there is something to it, I think, this year. That goal scoring, although I'm told it's not up, it certainly looks that way. Appleton, does he stay up for the rest of the year? Well, it's aggressive to, to, you know, and I heard Brian Munns on the broadcast before the Islander game say, you know, if maybe they were in another market, you'd say, kid, buy a house, you're not going back. Whoa, 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 You know, two, three <laughs> games in here. Uh, it's looked promising. They still had seven and a half minutes against the Rangers. Does that go up against the Islanders? You know, as we're taping this, it's, it, it's, a, it's a question mark. It is good. I think the difference is pro on that line. Pro with Rostovic and Appleton, like the line. You put uh, Patan in with Perot and Rostovic, and I think it's good. I think, it, and the numbers will tell you it's a little bit better right. on a very small sample. Right. But you know, it, it's promising. They're creating opportunities. They're keeping they're keeping it out of their end for the most part. They're not getting pinned in their own end. And Rostovic scored the other night, right. so there is some optimism there. And I think as long as that continues, he'll stay up. Does he stay up the whole time when, as guys come back healthy? And I had a little bit of a look at that yesterday off the air. I thought, well, no, he could, I guess, stay up right. as, you know, these healthy bodies come back because Veselainen is going over to Europe, so they have that extra spot. Um, it'll be interesting to see. But so far, so good on a, on a small sample. Yeah, a little bit of a fun thing that I want to do with you. Okay. <laughs> Some people would argue with that, maybe. And then we'll wrap it up because you know you're gonna have to come on again because this this has been this has been great. Sure. Uh, both you and Hus, you know, I I could you know we have been already talking for a while. You know, we that's right. Yeah, I've met like, you a number of times yeah. at different events and, and just just tonight though, like I mean, the conversation oh, always 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 flows well, there's right. Too many people going to the theater. <laughs> so so we, it was a little bit noisy. We had to kill about an hour and a half. Yeah. But, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a name, Jets no. 2.0, and I, I want you to give me one word. Okay. Okay. So. Uh, first one's Andre Pavlik. Retired. <laughs> uh, Evander Kane. Problem. Mark Scheifele. Skilled. Patrick Laney. <laughs> Exceptional. Blake Wheeler. Captain. Connor Halibut. Solid. And Paul Maurice. Smooth. Smooth. <laughs> <laughs>
That's what I'll have yeah, to double over. media guy, Yeah, right? for sure. But he is, re- but he is really smooth. The other thing I'll say about Paul Maurice, though, is that he gives, from what I know, because uh, I'm not in that room anymore, the broadcast meetings before a game. He will take the time to explain to those guys, the broadcasters anything that they are questioning about certain plays of running and so on, so they can understand what it's not inside information, but he takes the time to explain that. And I've never, in all the coaches that I've been around, I've never seen that. Right. He has time for the media, which uh, doesn't mean the media won't criticize him, right. but he is also very smooth and, and entertaining, as we've all seen and heard. I'm going to ask you this because I asked us this too. Is, is he is he loyal to veterans to a fault? No, I don't think so. I don't think... I don't know that any of the coaches are now, the way the league's going. I don't think you can. So I do think, though, that when you have a trust factor in a player, and whether that be a veteran player, that they'll get a tap over top of a younger player. So I know there's always – there's always – I always associate a fan base of a team with young players like kids at Christmas. Mm-hmm. They open a toy, they look at it, this is great, and then they're on to the next toy. Right. So bring in – name a player. Right, and they start to develop, and that's great. Now I want to see what's in. So let's use Sammy Niku for example. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, why do we have the best defenseman in the American Hockey League in the minors? Why isn't he up playing pro hockey? Well, he's up here now. How's that going? Right. It's not going very well. Doesn't mean it'll never go well. This is a seventh round draft pick. It's going to take a little while to get that adjustment. And so there's a there's you have to do something at the National Hockey League level that will earn you more minutes and more trust of the coaching staff. And so young, some young players come in and burst onto the seat, lining. Right. Shifley, after a while. Remember when he scored sure. his first goal and everybody thought he's made the team and now he's got to go back to junior and then the second year he had to go back to junior again? Right. Same with Morrissey. It took a little longer. But some guys make that jump a little quicker. Nikolai Ehlers. Right. Niku could be a little bit longer. Eddie may never pan out. We don't know. So a lot of guys become great at the American Hockey League level or the CHL level and, and can't make that jump. But it's too early to call on that. You have to find some sort of impression that you can make on the coaching staff, not based on what you did at the American Hockey League and not what you based did at junior. But when you get that opportunity at the National Hockey League, you can't have the puck in the back of your net. And look at Nick Patan. Right. Still, you know, no, nobody will argue about what this guy's been able to do in junior in the American Hockey League. But there are questions at the National Hockey League level. I know what the analytics show, but the actual results in the games have been different. Right. And so, it ta- you know, where is he on the depth chart now? I'm not going to throw him out, but this is a big year for Nick Patan. And it'd be interesting to see what kind of opportunities he gets. And that's that's the thing. Do you think he'll get a proper opportunity to, to show Well, he had the opportunity, remember? When Brian Little was injured? Right. Is it last two years? I'm, I'm bad for memory of short term. But he got the opportunity up there, and he was playing well in a top with six Wheeler, role. Yeah, with yeah. Wheeler, yeah, and then sure. he got injured. So that's that's the thing, right? So and, when he was with, sucks. and you know, I, I know it's skewed because any anybody you put with Blake Wheeler is put in a in a position to succeed. Sure, obviously, right? So it's it's been that. But that you also get into that position. You've got to doesn't mean automatically you're going right. to succeed. You've got to hold on to that spot. For and, sure. and Kyle Connor, hats off to him. He's been able to do that. Absolutely. It's just, you know, and then, and now, and then he's, now he's actually moved off that right. line just to see if he's the real deal or does he just benefit from those two? Right. And he's been a driver with little and line. It. Absolutely. And then and that's the key to for me is, is with, with the secondary, well, with the second line and the third line, uh, with the, with the, 
lining annealers and splitting them up is the both of them need a, a play driver uh, to, to succeed, right? So lining annealers is something that I think should have been given up on a while back because, because, yeah. because of how it is. And I think a lot of us talked about that too. I think you look at what's the, what's the similarity between Ehlers and Kyle Connor? And that is they, they're both fast. Right. They're both in. They'll, they'll get you into the zone. And so zone entry, as they call it. Or they'll go into the corner and get the puck. Right. And Connor might do it a little more aggressively than Ehlers. Yeah. Ehlers got more of the speed and the flash. And Connor's got more willing to, not that he's you a get big dirty, guy. You get greedy. Sure. Him, yeah, for sure. You know, line A probably doesn't pass as well as Wheeler, but still he's an exceptional passer. Right. So you've got, and Maurice always likes, a lot of NHL coaches like pairings more so than they like a trio. Right. But you've got to find what pairing works, and then you can find the third person to put on that, on that weight. To me, the two drivers of those lines, not taking anything away from Shafley and Wheeler, but Connor's able to play at that speed and be the guy to the point where they've put him back now with Little and Line A, and he's still that guy. Right. So Ehlers can go up and play on that line. And now you've probably got two stronger lines than you had with that little line A and Ehlers line. Right. You know, now can we work down the lineup and, and get that depth? And I think that's where the excitement comes in with Ross Beckett Appleton. Right. You know, absolutely. Right away, no. Maybe by the end of the season. I mean, think about Maurice when he came into training camp and joked that everybody had Ross Beckett as the second line center this year. Well, and, and you know, and and look how Brian Little's doing and, right and now. The, the last the last week or so, Roswick has has shown flashes, right? And has shown flashes. There's a lot of excitement. But he's earning that. the trust, yeah, and maybe that happens. Second line center. That's maybe aggressive at this point. Won't rule it out. Um, it could happen by the end of the year, but if it doesn't, maybe it happens next year. Maybe it takes two more years, you know, because Brian Little signed for a while. But at some point, I think that's. There's always that continual pushing of a roster. The roster is set for puck drop, and it can change the next game and the next game after that. And I always find coaches always talk about rosters are always so fluid. But a lot of people like to have that. Nobody likes fluid situations in their lives, right? They don't want everything settled. So that's kind of the way I think fan base, to read some of the media will look at it. It's like, why isn't this settled and why hasn't it moved forward? Why isn't Patan in the top six? Why is it well, if Patana Rosvik's in the top six? Who's coming, who's coming down? Yeah, and that sure. always becomes the battle. So, but at the same time, you got to prove, you know, when you're given that opportunity, that you're deserving of that jump. Because there's a lot of guys in line for that. So we're almost at an hour. Can you believe that? Well, I can because I do this for a living. <laughs> well, we don't. We didn't take any commercials. That's a little bit different. <laughs> um, do do the Jets have what it takes to to go deep again? I think so. I mean, I think there'd be some question marks early on here. They're a top third team in the league right now. They're probably a top seven. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of questions, I think, when it comes to teams like Buffalo who've been doing some streaking or Colorado that's been doing some streaking. Um, but they've got the parts. They showed that last year. They also went out and acquired Stasny for depth okay. down the middle. Does Roslovic grow into that position where they don't need to do that this year? Or... Does Kevin Chevalier feel they have to go and do that again? Because are they as good a team right now as they were as that playoff team last year? And I would say not no. quite. But they can get there. I think I think the the choice will be whether you show up front or or uh, in the back end. They always say defense wins championships, right? right? Um, so I think it's going to be but 
down the middle, center is always coveted when it comes to playoff action. You can never have too many centers. You can never have too many defense. We're listening to the Jets, right? And I agree <laughs> there, and we're finding that out right now, how all of a sudden things can go sideways, and you're down into three guys from the American Hockey League playing in a, you know, in a roster. That's tough. Right. Um, but I think your depth down the middle is something they would look at, and if you can add defense, they might. But again, at what cost? Because you've got guys coming into the system. For sure. It's been a slice, Rick. Roddy, always fun. And uh, you'll have to do this again. I will, sure. Awesome. Thanks. Cheers. <laughs>